Our scripture lesson tonight comes from the good news, the gospel according to St. Matthew. This is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, If you would like to uh, read all of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, it's chapters 5, 6, and 7 in the Gospel of Matthew. Let's share in God's good word together. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. We're in a series called Unoffendable. That that's really what God calls us to be. That if Christ lives in us and his power lives and reigns in us, then we can choose not to be offended. So week one goes like this. To be offended is to judge another's action as a moral false step. Okay? To be offended is to judge another's action as a moral false step. Well, the problem with that is, of course, that Jesus says don't judge. So the very fact, if you find yourself offended, just know that you're already outside the will of God at that moment. You've already stepped in it. Because you are already usurping God's place because it's God's place to judge. So when you're offended, you're absolutely, absolutely in deep weeds because Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount later in Matthew 7 1 says, do not what? Judge so that you may not be what? Judged. Now the key word is you. Jesus is saying, friends, and the Greek word there is actually condemnation. It's not discernment. Okay, so this, this word judge, this Greek word that we're translating judge into English is, is really closer to our words of condemn. Don't condemn someone else, right? There, there's a difference. Jesus doesn't say be silly and never discern right from wrong. He's not saying that. What he's saying is don't judge others, don't condemn others, don't look at others as lower than yourself because don't forget you too are a sinner. I'm forgiving you much. So he says don't condemn others so that... You may not be condemned. That's how we could read it in the Greek. Do not condemn others so that you are not condemned. Because, and and the scripture will go on, Jesus says, because to the measure of condemnation that you show to other people, you can't help but receive that on yourself. Because that's just who you are at that point. That's how you think. And so you bring a lot of misery and harm and judgment upon yourself because that's the way you think of others. And you can't train your mind to think of yourself one way and others the other way. So the more you condemn others, the more you're condemning yourself. It's just axiomatic. That's the way it works. And Jesus says you don't have to do that to yourself. Why would you do that to yourself? Don't condemn others so that you won't be condemned. So that's week one. Week two is basically this. One of the reasons we get so angry is we're just so tired. We're just tired. Any of y'all tired? It's been a long school year. We're just tired. We get cranky when we're tired. You ever notice that? Like if you, if any of y'all have two, three-year-olds? You remember that? When they would just get so tired and they would have these little fits? You're like, oh, bless your heart. You need a nap. Well, I do the same thing with 40-year-olds. I'm like, bless your hearts. You just need a nap. You're just angry and tired and... Right? Anger and rest. They're always at odds. You can't have both. Uh, Last week we talked about, you know, it's very rare that you find an angry sleeper. Right? Kids are cute when they sleep. At rest and peace. It's good. So we need to look at rest. We need to look at forgiveness. Uh, We need to make sure that we're not offended or judging because that comes around into our life. And so Jesus has a lot to say about this. 
that you can't have both anger and rest. And, and what he says in the Psalms is that we can cease, cease striving. That's God's word to us. That we don't have to be about anxious toy. We don't have to always be afraid about what will happen if we don't overfunction in our family system or at our church or at our work or in our world. We're able to just relax and trust God. We can. You can trust God. You really can to take care of you, to take care of your future. And so Jesus begins his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5. And, and he, says, he says this. He says, you have heard. Uh, and, and I would remind you that Jewish boys uh, would grow up under a rabbi and they would learn Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy cold. They would memorize it. They would have it in their hearts. Uh, and they would write these things down. And they would know. And so Jesus says, you have heard or you know this as true that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Right? He says, you, you, you know this, you know this. Well, it's not just that they knew it. They had written it down. They had learned it. They had memorized it. Everybody knew this. It came out of Exodus 21. And just a few verses before this in Exodus is actually the list of the Ten Commandments. And on the back of the Ten Commandments, you have this writing. Now, I would remind you that the Ten Commandments are given to Moses at Mount Sinai. And he goes out, and this is to help the people live because they had been slaves for 400 years in Egypt. Okay, and so now they have to figure out how to live together because now they're not being ruled by someone else. They actually have to rule themselves. And so they have to have some laws and some rules about how you're going to live together. And, and how do you do that? And so one of it uh, went like this. It says, if, anyone ha- if any harm follows, right? So if you're in a relationship with someone and, and harm comes about, then, so that it doesn't get out of hand, you, then you shall give life for what? Life. Or if something happens to your eye, what? An eye. Or a tooth for tooth or a hand for hand or a foot for a or if you get burned what a burn or if you get wounded or a stripe for okay you see how that's equal up now this is not teaching that this is what you should do this is the limit of what's allowed does that make sense because if you're trading punches with somebody the second punch is always harder this law is to keep that from happening so that if accidentally someone in your family, um, you know, punches out the tooth of the guy that lives next to you, they don't get to come and kill your family. Because that's what would happen if you don't limit this. Like, no, 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 you lost a tooth. Let's see, okay, yep, you got to lose a tooth. Sorry, bud. Right, just limited. That was it. That was it. No more. It's not a tooth and a stripe and a burn. It's just the tooth. You see how this, it's just legal. It's very boring stuff until it actually happens. And then... It is an idea about controlled retaliation. It does not condone retaliation. It did not justify retaliation. It doesn't call for retaliation. It limits it. Do you see the difference? The Bible is not saying, if you get your tooth knocked out, go knock out somebody else's tooth. It's not what it's saying. It's saying, if you get your tooth knocked out, the most that you could possibly do in retribution is to get another tooth. You don't get to do more than that. Does it make sense? And this prevents wars and factions and tribal problems by limiting the amount of retaliation someone could do. And they, they knew this. Uh, it, it didn't justify or condone the actions. It simply limited it so that it didn't get more out of hand. And then they had issues for people uh, who were slaves. And so you can kind of see how this gets lived out. When a slave owner strikes the eye of a male or female slave, they don't pull out their own eye. They set them free. Right? Because that they've done them so much harm by law, 
you would let them be free. Or if the owner knocks out a tooth of a male female slave, he doesn't lose his tooth. He has to let them go or to be compensated for their tooth so that they're now free men and women. I would remind you that the very people who use the Bible to keep slavery intact in the United States did not follow that. Right? They, they would pick and choose the scriptures that they wanted around slavery so that they could keep the slave and also do with them what they wanted. It was very difficult when you come to these texts. And so Jesus says, you all know this. You know this, right? You, this is, you have heard that it said, and then Jesus changes it. He says, but I say to you, I say to you, do not resist an evildoer, but if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. Right? Why, why would he say that? Well, first of all, why does he say right cheek? Right? I need a volunteer. Any volunteers? Okay, come on up here. All right, I need a volunteer. So, are you right-handed or left-handed? Good. Okay. So, as you, as you come up here and state your name for the record, because I have a prosecuting attorney in the audience. Just want to make sure that we're all legal, legal here. What is your name? Xavier Cahill. Xavier. I want you to hit me on my right cheek with your right hand. That's my left cheek. <laughs> Try it again. There you go. Okay, very good. Now, so if you were going to hit somebody on their right cheek, and most people are right-handed, normally what that would mean is that you would use the back of your hand. Like that, right? Which is an insult. It's not a fight. It's an insult. It's like, oh, you've offended me. Smack. Right? Okay, very good. Y'all clap for, for Xavier. He did good. Okay? And so it's, it's important that it's the right cheek. Right? They're not in a fist fight. It's, it's this, I've been insulted. And what Jesus is saying is, if you've been insulted, if you've been offended, just turn the other cheek. It's better than um, exacerbating the problem. It's important that we understand that Jesus is talking about the right cheek. He's about, if you're insulted, look, just, just turn the other cheek and, and move on with your life. And if anyone wants to sue you, he's, he's ramping it up now. He says, first of all, you know, you just, if you're insulted, go on. He says, but then, if someone wants to sue you and, and take your coat... You, you give your cloak as well. Now, this coat is sort of your inner nightgown, so to speak. This is what he's talking about. If somebody says, hey, um, I'm going to sue you, and you're literally going to lose your shirt in the lawsuit, that's what they're losing. And, and what Jesus is saying is if that's the case, then, then there's no sense in making that worse. Just give it to them, and then give them your outer garment, your coat as well. Uh, that that's the sort of take we ought to have. That we ought to be more concerned about others than we are about our own agendas. Because it's when our own agenda is thwarted, when things aren't going our way, when we aren't in control, that's when we lose our life to anger and resentment and bitterness. He says, so if, if somebody comes and smacks you on the, on the cheek as an insult, on your right cheek with the back of their hand, let that go. And if, somebody, if you're in a lawsuit and they take your, your undershirt, your long nighty, that's fine, and give them your outer cloak too. It's better than being in a, a long battle with another family. Uh, and then... He says, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Well, wh what does that mean? Why, why would he say that? That's a, that's a weird thing. Well, the reason is, friends, that the Jews were no longer a free people. They, again, were enslaved, basically. They were owned. They were occupied by the Roman government. Rome, at that time, had taken over basically the entire world uh, as they knew it. And so I want to show you a graph uh, of, of what that looks like. Uh, you can see Spain over there to the left. Rome uh, covered all that, all of Germany, uh, Europe, Asia, 
Italy, of course, Greece, parts of Africa, uh, over to Syria, Israel. Uh, basically, the, the world as they knew it, Rome owned it all. And Rome had come and taken over Jerusalem. Now imagine that you can live one way as a free people, but what happens to you if a Roman soldier smacks you on your cheek and you bow up to him? You're dead. Your family's dead. Your children are dead. Maybe your neighborhood, maybe your whole city, maybe they burn it to the ground. It's important that we understand the context of which Jesus is teaching. He's saying, look, friends, you, you don't have any power in this deal. Rome's got the power, and you need to be really careful about how you deal with them. Right? So if, if a Roman soldier, this is the way it was, um, and you would, you would be reminded that because they didn't have a lot of really good ships, uh, if you came from Rome, uh, you see Rome there on the left, uh, and you had to march up and around on land all the way around over and down to basically where that dot is for Syria. Israel's going to be just below that. Those guys were tired. They weren't hours from home. They weren't days from home. They were months or years from home of walking all the way from Rome to occupy Jerusalem. You might know a friend or two that have spent years in places like Afghanistan or uh, Iraq. And you know how hard that is, how you miss your family, and how you're supposed to be a peacekeeper or uh, try to keep things from getting out of hand and how exhausting that is. And it was these very kinds of soldiers on Rome's behalf at the time. Uh, they were there trying to keep the peace, trying to keep things going. And, and they would have a pack. And as they were moving from Pickett, Spain, or Rome, or Africa, uh, Germany, wherever, all the way to Jerusalem, they were tired. And they were allowed by law to ask you for directions or ask you to carry their pack for one mile but no more than one mile. That was the law. And Jesus blew their mind when he said, if a Roman soldier asks you to carry their pack one mile, carry it two. Don't cuss at them, spit at them, curse them, fight them. Just carry it two. That's what love does. That's what changes the world. That's the kind of person that transforms the very world that we live in. Not those that are always fighting and anxious and toiling and striving, but those who see the need in anybody, anybody in the world, anybody who's hurting, anybody who's in need, and you act. And you act. Now, in these first three examples that Jesus gives, he's talking to people who are powerless, right? If you're the one that gets struck, you're not the aggressor. If you're the one that's getting sued, you're not the aggressor. And if a Roman soldier comes and tells you you have to carry his pack, you're not the aggressor. You're the one that's powerless in that situation. In the first three examples, you have no power in the situation. And Jesus says, even then, do the loving thing. Do the next right thing. It's never wrong to do the next right thing. Jesus says, turn your cheek. So if you're struck in the face or if you're sued uh, or, you're, or you're being forced, your hand's being forced by a foreign government, love does not retaliate. That's what Jesus is saying. Love does not retaliate. Will you say that with me? Love does not retaliate. It doesn't. And I want you to look at the life of Jesus. When he's carrying the cross, when he's being tortured, when he's on the cross, when he's being flogged, um, never retaliates. And he is our master and teacher and Lord. Go the second mile, he says. And then he does something that's even more difficult. We're at point two. Jesus expands the vision. If you go on to verse 42... 
Then he puts you in the place of power. You're no longer powerless. You're the person with the power. You're full of power now. You're the one that's in control. And he says this. So give to who? Everyone who begs from you. Are you kidding me? Who are we supposed to give to? Everyone. And then he goes on. He says, and do not refuse who? Anyone who wants to borrow from you. Okay, now you see that now it's flipped. Now you have power. Now you have control. You're the one that the other people are coming to for help. And he says, uh, what do you do there? You help them too. So it doesn't matter whether you're powerless, you can do the right thing, or whether you're the one who's in the power position, you can do the right thing. Either way. Those who want to beg from you, those who want to borrow from you, you can help them too. You help others, period. That's the point. That that's who we are. We're people who help and make a difference in the world. Whether we find ourselves on the wrong end of a slap, the wrong end of a lawsuit, the wrong end of a government, or, or in a position of power where we can actually help people. People we don't want to help, by the way. Right? I mean, this sort of connotes that, you know, we don't really want to do this. And Jesus says, no, we're going to help everyone. And anyone who asks from you, you go ahead and help them. Now, this is very difficult in our world today. Because what I see when I scroll through Twitter or Facebook are not these sort of sayings. And they're kind of the opposite of that, as a matter of fact. Um, one, one of the things that I hope that you'll consider tweeting out is this from Brant Hansen. He says this, let's face it, we're positively in love with taking stands that cost us absolutely nothing. Isn't that true? That's absolutely true. We, we don't want to have to give to someone who's begging from us. We don't want to have to help someone out who's borrowing from us. We don't want to do the right thing in a lawsuit. Um, what we'd love to do is just sit in our lazy boy, in our easy chair, and hit like, 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 don't like, don't like, don't like, hate, 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 like a little. Now, here's the thing. We love taking stands that cost us nothing. And this is absolutely true. A recent study found that people who join causes online do you think they're more or less likely to actually do something about it? Well, on the face of it, you think they do more. They've said, I like it. But that's not true. They actually do less. It would be better for you not to see it at all. You're more likely to help if you don't say you like it. Because the thing is, if you say that you like something on Facebook or on Twitter or whatever, you retweet it, then you get to think of yourself as a good person for doing absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. So according to research from the University of British Columbia, if you click like on the help the poor children of wherever, you're actually less likely to give money to the help the poor children of wherever. They've actually studied this out. So people who do nothing or don't even know about it are more likely to help than people who say they like it. You say, well, wow. Okay, so what do we do about this? There's actually a term. Maybe you've heard it. It's called slacktivism. It's not activism. It's slacktivism. Are you a slacktivist? It's in vogue these days. Actions performed via the internet in support of a political or social cause, but regarded as requiring little time or involvement. You're doing nothing except stirring the pot, making no difference in the world, just being angry and, and not making any difference. Because as we do this, we're actually less likely to take action, less likely to help. And so Jesus, again, has some words about this. He says, you have heard. He goes back to that. You have heard, you have heard, you have heard. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor, your family, your tribe, and hate your enemy. Everybody knew that, right? 
That, that's the way it was. And, and it's really not that different today, that you like those that are like you and you don't like those who are not like you. That's sort of the way of the world. Jesus says, no, no, not with you. Not with my followers. He says, but I say to you, I say to you, love your who? Did he mean that? That seems silly, doesn't it? Love your enemies, and what are you supposed to do for those who are persecuting you? Pray for them, and not that they'll die. You really pray for them, for good things, to bless them, to help them, uh, that they'll come to have joy that really is joy in life and love. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, again, I would remind you that this is hard enough for us in Edmond where you know, we're annoyed with this or that group or this or that person or this thing at work or that thing over here. That's not what Jesus is talking about at all. He's not talking about being annoyed or persecuted in the abstract. He's not talking about you know, praying for the person that said happy holidays this December. It's not what he means. What Jesus is saying is this. You need to love that Roman soldier who's standing outside your house. Who killed your Uncle Bob. That's who you need to love. It's very specific. It was very concrete. And it was very hard to do. And he meant it. And I can only wonder what Jesus thinks about our culture these days when we're all offended or angry about nonsense. He's like, look, I'm telling you to love those who hate you, who persecute you, who have killed your family, who have harmed your pets, all of it. Love them. Really, love them because that's the only thing that's going to change our world. That's the only thing that makes a difference. When you love in action about the very people who are hurting you, the very occupying force of Rome, this is who Jesus was talking about. And everybody knew it. The, clearly, the enemy of the Jews in that day for Jesus was Rome or the tax collectors that were working on their behalf. This is what Jesus meant. And you might say, well, well, why? That just seems completely wrong. Like, how could you love the people who are hurting you? And he says this, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. This is why. If you really want life that's life, then you've got to have something going on bigger than you than the petty tribalism of our day or his day. You've got to live in a way that's empowered beyond your circumstance. He says, for God makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. God loves all his children, every person on the planet. He's bringing the sun to the people who believe in him, the people that don't, the people who do good stuff, and the people who don't. And God sends rain on the righteous and who? The unrighteous. Now, what does unrighteous mean? The people who don't do the right thing, the not right. This is who God is. And Jesus says, if you want to look like me, who I'm God, by the way, Jesus is saying, if you want to look like God, then you have to do the things that God does, which is you do good to the good and the not so good, right? You bring rain, you bring health, you bring love, you bring water, you bring sunshine to the good and the not good, because that's who God is. And if you want to be people of God, then you have to do the things of God. You don't get to have it both ways, where you just want the good stuff for you and nothing for the bad people. Because how are they ever going to get it if we don't love them into the kingdom? How does that happen? So that you may be children of your Father. So then Jesus continues. He says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? He's like, that's just good business. Everybody knows that. Right? I mean, salesmen know that. I mean, take good care of your clients, they'll take good care of you. That's not Christian. That's just good business. He says, don't even the tax collectors do the same? Of course they do. They're not followers of God. They're just getting their business done. 
And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles, the non-Jews, do the same? Sure they do. And then Jesus says this, which we've struggled with for centuries. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, before you just check out and say, well, okay, don't be dumb. Nobody's perfect. It doesn't translate well. What this needs to say is do the next right thing. Do the next loving thing. Do the best for every person that you meet because that's who God is. He brings the rain and the sun to the just and the unjust, to the righteous and the unrighteous, all the same. He loves the world. God so loved the what? The world. The world, which includes everyone. Now, if you're a guy like I am and you see injustice, there's just something in us that we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to read an article about it. We want to do something about it. We want to fix it. We want to go out there and do something. You know, we want to make a difference. So we think, but we've got to do something that's unjust. And that's right. We do. But we don't have to do it with anger. This is what we get so confused in our culture. Anger and action are two very different things. They are. And again, from week one, anything you can do with anger, you can do better without it. You can. Anger and action are two very different things. We're called to action. We're not called to anger. Dallas Willard, who I think is is one of the, the greatest theologians of our time, who passed just a few years ago, he said this, stepping out of anger means that you are surrendering your will to God. It means you have accepted that you don't have to have your way. Is that true for you? Where you don't have to have your way? That it's okay for the world to go on without following your agenda? Even on vacation? You know, even in your home? Even, even, even? Because what we find is that anger, you know what anger is? It's just thwarting your will. That's all it is. And when you hand your will over to God, you just happen to be a lot less angry. It's just something the way that works. Now, if you're in control and you're the one in power, then of course you're going to be angry when things don't go your way. That's just human nature. It happens all the time. But I would remind you, friends, that early Christians in many cases were being targeted, imprisoned, and killed. And in the Middle East in that time, the world was full of things like infanticide, slavery, racism, sexism, child abuse, unjust wars, occupations, torture. It's all there. And Jesus and all of the New Testament never once says, get angry and take it into your own hands. Not once. It says love, forgive, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. These are the fruits of the Spirit. This is what it looks like when God lives in you. And if we're really honest, the reason we get angry is because we confused ourselves with God. We're offended on God's behalf. God's big enough to handle it. Trust me on that one. Right? We, we don't need it. So what's our action step? What, what do we do? Choosing to be unoffendable or relinquishing our right to anger does not mean accepting injustice. Absolutely not. We need to work against injustice where we see it. But we can do that without anger. So we do something. So think about that for a moment. Maybe there's something that's unjust that's going on. How can you do the next loving thing to help make that right? How do you support the person that's on the hurting side of that? How do you protect others from those who are being the aggressor? What things can you do? Not out of anger, out of love. Take action, friends. Do, take action. We move out for the transformation of the world. And we act in love, not anger. 
Well, what does that look like? If I'm not going to act in anger, if I'm going to act in love, what does that look like? Well, it looks like this. It looks gutsy. It's a willful decision to seek the best for others every time. We're going to seek the best for others. And it takes guts. It takes a strong will. It takes intentionality to do the very best for others. Proverbs, the great wisdom of the Bible says it like this. Don't ever say I will repay evil. Just don't do it. Wait for the Lord. He's your justifier. He will help you. Live for an audience of one. Let him justify you. When someone else doesn't understand what you're doing or how you're doing it, and they're, they're all upset or in your wheelhouse about, you know, why do you do that? You don't have to respond to that. You don't. Wait for the Lord to make it plain. Because the thing is, friends, we need people who actually act to set things right in God's power and God's will in God's way. And I want you to know that it's not just back in the Bible. It happens today. 